Welcome back to the Alts Podcast. I'm your host, Horatio Ruiz. We bring you industry leaders and creators to give their insights on the rapidly changing and exciting world of alternative assets. Opinions expressed on this podcast by the host and podcast guests are for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Podcast hosts and guests may maintain positions in the offerings discussed in this podcast. Thank you for joining me on the podcast. Today, we're talking coffee with guest Adam Jason. Adam is a partner at the Legacy Group, which is an investment firm that owns Green Coffee Company. The company is the largest coffee producer in all of Colombia. In today's episode, Adam shares how Green Coffee acquired so much farmland, how its technology separates it from other coffee producers in Latin America, and plans for expanding into other areas. This is another great one where we talk about Colombia's producers, what goes into coffee production, and what to do with coffee waste. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Adam. All right, guys. So today uh, we talk about one of my favorite things here, coffee. I am a big time coffee drinker. Uh, we have a great company, Green Coffee Company. And Adam, Jason, thank you for coming. Thank you so much, Horatio. Pleasure to be here and, and chat coffee. Yeah, yeah. Really eager to, to jump into the conversation. Really surprised by what I was learning as I was learning about the company. You know, I'd let you take it away. You know, what, what is the, the Green Coffee Company and what is your mission? I'm really uh, into that mission. Sure. It sounds crazy to say, but the Green Coffee Company is now the largest producer of, of coffee in all of the country of Colombia. I'm talking to you today from Medellin. I've been down here for five years. Wow. Myself, my business partner at Legacy Group, which is our private equity investment firm that sits as really basically the outside, outside asset management for the Green Coffee Company. We started the business back in 2017. And really the intention from the start was to create an alternative investment product for investors who were already comfortable deploying money into Colombia, primarily into commercial real estate, who were looking for an alternative to that asset class, but that also functioned similarly. What do I mean by that? You know, there's a cash flow component, there's a collateralized nature to the business, the underlying assets have a chance for appreciation, just something that they could get comfortable with. What we really saw as, as we looked under the hood of, of the industry, the market, the country down here, was how big the opportunity actually could be with the right capital, a fresh set of eyes, frankly, on an industry that has lacked investment and, and really foreign investment for I'd say the better part of a, a half century, but that is fundamental to the economy of, of the country. I mean, it's the country's national product. Colombia is the third largest producer of, of coffee in the world, the second largest of Arabica or Arabica coffee. Uh, so it's it's you know a an industry where 500,000 coffee producers find find a way to make a living, but have, has had very little as I mentioned, kind of fresh eyes, fresh capital, kind of an outside looking in perspective on the business. So, you know, in, the, in that five-year time frame, we've gone from really an idea to about 6,600 acres of land, 7.7 million coffee trees. We've brought about $37 million of investment, primarily high net worth, accredited investor investment from the U.S. into Colombia. And, and our investors see the same opportunity as, as we do, that we can really kind of blow the roof off of this thing. And, and we're looking more towards 
the sale of the business to a large industry player or an IPO in the U.S. versus, I guess, call it the small small dream day of a cash flowing asset that people could use as an alternative to commercial real estate. We, we see the upside. A, a lot of things to like unpack there, right? To me, Columbia growing up was almost synonymous with coffee. And I don't know why that is. Maybe growing me growing up in Miami um, and seeing all the different coffee brands out there, so many of them coming from Columbia. So I, I thought that maybe, and, and you you made a good point, like that it'd be really hard to get into that. Like it'd be hard to kind of get it, break into a, a, a foreign country, right? And break into something that's so um, kind of symbolic of what the country stands for, what the country, you know, kind of represents itself to be. Absolutely. The reason why people know the coffee is because it's actually some of the highest quality coffee produced on average on a global basis. You know, having primarily Arabica coffee versus the Robustas, if somebody's listening and not familiar with coffee, that's basically the the Robusta is going to be like your Folgers, Maxwell House, the stuff that's basically burned very little attention to quality, consistency, et cetera. And the Arabica is going to be a higher quality. Most of the coffee coming out of Colombia is going to be Arabica. Just kind of some statistics to paint the picture. And what we saw, as I mentioned, about 500,000 producers here in the country. Most farmers here own less than, I think it's 95% own less than three acres. So there's a massive... I would say weakness in, in, in the sense that it's the, mar- the market's very fragmented. There's very little consolidation of infrastructure. So if you own a farm, you also have to own the processing facilities, et cetera. It's extremely inefficient versus if you look at other coffee markets in Central America, Africa, there's a lot more centralization of processing, exports, et cetera. So what we really saw is if we can acquire a lot of farms, have our own supply chain really in place, build the infrastructure. And and we've really taken things to the next level from a technological perspective and credit to our team and kind of our access to investor capital for that. But but if you could could kind of get those pillars and have capital available, there's there's really a, a lot of opportunity to continue to buy, plug more coffee into our operations and hit those economies of scale, which unfortunately a lot of the smaller producers can can never get to because they frankly just don't see enough of the of the profit that shows up in the industry. Very little goes to the producer and and almost all of it goes to Starbucks and the and the folks that are selling direct to consumers. So I'm glad you brought that up because someone listening in maybe right now is thinking, oh great, another you know a coffee conglomerate coming in, taking over, right? But you guys are really big on on what you know a term here impact investing. You know, having corporate responsibility. How does your uh, the way you guys you know source the land and have and have producers working off the land? How has that kind of made you guys stand out a little bit? Yeah, I would say in many ways for the sellers of the land that we're buying. I guess you call us a, a white knight to steal a, a term from kind of merger and acquisition world of of you know the, the history typically is. The great grandfather buys some land, turns it into a coffee farm, buys some of the surrounding land, builds a decent sized farm, passes it down. A couple of generations later, the person who's inheriting it doesn't want to be in the coffee industry. They want to live in Miami, for example, or they want to study abroad, whatever it might be. But a lot of the families 
wealth and, and assets are, are tied up in that land. So they're looking for an exit. Because of the, the frag, fragmented nature of the market, there's not a lot of buyers for them to turn to and, and sell at, at scale. So what we've tried to do is offer fair prices, offer for, for transactions in cash. It's another thing you'll see here. Be like, okay, I'll buy your coffee farm, but I'm going to trade you, you know, my goats and a truck and whatever. It's it's it sounds very, I don't know, called 200 centuries ago, but a lot of the transactions are done that way because financing and especially foreign investment can be hard to come by. So we've set ourselves apart in the market in terms of being able to to get deals done, which has allowed us to become kind of a buyer of choice for a lot of the farmers around us because they know there's a path to liquidity for their for their assets and they can kind of tap into that that wealth that they're great grandfather or even generations before that started to build. So, so that's on the transactional side of things and the acquisition side of things. Our competitive advantage there is you're not going to have really a, unless things change drastically, you know, the idea that like a Starbucks or, or Nestle or somebody like that is going to come in and theoretically compete against us by essentially to, to get things off the ground, going door to door and, and finding these acquisitions. Now we're fortunate that they kind of come to us. It's just not big enough for those size businesses. You know, they can't deploy enough capital quickly enough to make it worth their time. So we play in that, I guess, call it large, but not large enough deal for those guys where we can do the consolidation, we can do the infrastructure build out, we can do the handholding in terms of acquisition, and we can build a business that is capable of standing alone on its own, like it does now, or that's a potentially strong acquisition target for one of those big names in the future, because they don't want to do all the heavy lifting to get to where we are now. Yeah. How, how many like producers do you have? I mean, I, I imagine that once you do buy that land, right? Like do the, the farmers stay on and work the land and they work, you know, kind of uh, off of the, their yield. What are you finding in that, in that sense? Most folks who are selling are looking to cash out, as I mentioned, tap into that kind of wealth that the family's built over, over a couple of generations. Usually it's a, I don't want to be a coffee farmer anymore. So here, here's my chance for an exit. Some that said, some of like the, the acquisition we just did, this past July that got us to the largest position in Colombia, basically the whole team came with us. And the woman whose family had owned that farm and business before us is now fully integrated in our operations, has become part of the management team. So it really depends on what people's own personal interests are and what and what their goals are. But we bring everything in-house. Everything's owned under one structure. Uh, so we have a U.S. holding company that owns a Colombian company and everything is employed. Everybody's employed by that Colombian entity. Everything's owned by that Colombian entity. We have about 430 full-time employees right now. And then because much of the harvesting is still done by hand because the, the coffee here grows literally on the sides of mountains and you can have very easily one ripe coffee cherry next to a non-ripe one. A lot of it still has to be done manually. So we'll have about another 400 to 500 folks who work with us part-time during the harvest seasons. Well, I kind of want to get your take on, and you said a little bit before about alternative investments. You saw an opportunity uh, in real estate, and then you kind of saw this other opportunity here with farmland and specifically to grow coffee. What are the parallels like between what's happening around the world, you know, around the world, I guess, where alternative investments, people are opening their eyes a little bit more to them, including farmland, different types of real estate. 
And, and what is it like working in, a, in another country, like Colombia? Like, what's that experience like? And you mentioned before, you know, maybe you're, you're doing some transactions with, with goats in a pickup truck or a car. How have you found that experience? Yeah, I would say there's certainly a trend towards bigger positions and alternative investments for especially our investor base. As I mentioned, accredited investors, high net worth folks, I think they want a little bit more control over their portfolio, maybe a little bit less interest in giving all their money to a BlackRock and, and seeing what happens or putting all their money into public equities. You know, people are seeing now, uh, it's, it's, it's recent, but you know, people are seeing challenge with respect to real estate, rising mortgages, inflation, et cetera. Frankly, alternative investments, I think, whether you're talking about alternative asset classes that are US-based or alternative industries or countries, all these things kind of change the investor profile a little bit. Now, it's nice in the sense that people are getting access to deals now that they might not have otherwise thought about being able to, to get to. I mean, for something like what we're doing, that's really a access to a pre-IPO company and you get direct contact with the management team. You know, if there's a lot of guys coming in together, where there's a little bit more of negotiation around terms that 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 goes on. Whereas if you're just going to go buy some shares of Apple, you know that the price is what the indice says that it is. And it's a little bit more hands-on, uh, a little bit more of a chance to kind of participate at early stages in in businesses. And then there, I think there's a lifestyle component to a lot of these investments as well. You know, we'll get guys who want to and gals who want to invest with us because then they can come to Colombia, touch the coffee. You know, they become kind of ambassadors for the business. It's a passive investing style that also gets you a little bit more hands-on onto businesses that you care about versus, you know, just riding the, the S&P for 30 years. <laughs> so true. Yeah. It's almost like a little bit of passion investing there to that. And like, you know, what drove the company legacy, you know, you had an opportunity in Colombia, but beyond that, right. Is coffee drinking still, you know, expected to take off, you know, now that you have more, you know, Starbucks obviously led the way, but is it something to that you don't see that kind of curtailing, right? You see that coffee drinking is as popular as ever. Coffee drinking is as popular as ever, became more popular during the pandemic. There's still big markets out there that haven't become coffee drinking markets. China's the big focus, it's traditionally a tea market, but transitioning some towards coffee. So there's room to grow there. Statistics are 2 billion cups of coffee consumed every day. It grows about 25 basis points, so a quarter of a percentage point every year, which sounds small, but when you're talking about 2 billion cups a day, those are big numbers. We see an opportunity to be important in that market and do something interesting. You know, basically, our projections out to 2026, which is our terminal year for the investment and, and looking for an exit for, for our investors, we think that we can control about 1% of all of the coffee consumed globally. So 20 million cups a day flowing through our operations. But it's a market that's continuing to grow. I think you can really look at it, one, as a lifestyle product that's never going to kind of go away. And also for many people, it's like simply just a drug, something you need to start the day. It's it's like basically such an ingrained part of, of people's lives that we see a lot of opportunity for kind of future growth. And, you know, it's it's a where do you fit into this massive market and how do you, how do you carve out a piece? And a piece of that is, is frankly kind of enough to, to do really well. To, to think in four years, right? 2026, your target is yeah. responsible for 1% of the global 
uh, consumption of coffee. That's wild. That's the goal. I mean, it's um, it's 10% of all the world's coffee it comes from Colombia, and we think we can control 10% of that 10%, which is 1% of <laughs> the full yeah. pie. So we're going to go for it. Awesome. So with, and you've talked a little bit about it, you know, you guys are kind of raising some funds, you know, you guys are looking to, to bring in, bring on some more investors. You do, you do uh, say you target accredited investors. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Like the opportunities there, what are the minimum investments? Sure. So we just launched our series C funding round two weeks ago. We're I'm talking to you right now here at the end of September. So, so middle of September, we started that it's a hundred million dollar funding round. It'll be 25 million of equity and 75 million of debt. We have $100,000 investment minimums. We're looking at, and, and I'll tell you how we get there, but we're, we're looking at 11X returns on investment through that 2026 exit at the, at the current share prices. So you know, 11 times capital invested. I think a big one for the investors is that it is US, a US-based investment. As I mentioned, even though all the operations are here Everything flows up into a Delaware holding company. So for legal purposes, for taxes, everything functions the exact same way as if you bought a, an, a share in Apple, for example. All our banking is done in the U.S. Again, our focus is on that high net worth accredited investor base. We like those folks because they really do become ambassadors and help talk, tell the story and drink the coffee and get excited about what we're doing. How do we get there? Kind of what's the use of, of capital? So it'll be continuing to strengthen our position here in Colombia, more farms, more infrastructure, more coffee, going further down the, the value chain, which means going further into roasted coffee. So right now we sell primarily the green coffee, which is like the dehusked coffee that you sell and it has like a greenish tint. That's like the pre-cooked coffee. Roasted is what you're more used to seeing in the in the grocery store, in the in the kind of brown, blackish form. Higher profit margins, closer to the customer. Again, trying to push more and more of our own production through that value chain and get higher profit margins as we go. The other one, which is pretty special in coffee and that adds a ton of value to the business is for the history of coffee, nobody has ever thought about the byproduct that's created when you're processing coffee and what to do with it. So what does that, what does that mean? When you pick coffee, it grows on a tree in, in a cherry form, just like we be used to the customary cherry fruit that we're used to. You know, you have the pit, which in, in our case is the coffee bean, and then you have everything else. You have the, the, the cherry skin, the pulp, the mucilage, the water, everything. The history of coffee is that that gets disposed of, usually by inappropriate means. It's thrown in water sources, it's burned, etc. What we've seen by doing our own studies here with research institutes in Colombia, it's been tested in research institutes in Germany, is the antioxidants, the sugars, everything that is in that byproduct has multiple use purposes beyond becoming garbage and, and wasted. So what are we doing? We're ordering and we already have in process all the equipment we need to turn all of that waste into vodka, gins, other spirits by distilling it into ethanol and, and creating, creating those vodka products from it. That's basically turning that sugar into to ethanol and then, and then diluting it with water to get to vodka. Fundamentally, what does that mean for us? It means we're taking all of this waste and turning it into a revenue source for the investors. 
the scale of that really is, is massive. The facility that we're putting in place right now has the capacity to produce 38,750 milliliter bottles of, of vodka daily when it's operating at, at full capacity. So if you look at our financial modeling, you know, really that's a $50 million in revenue annually uh, going into that 2026 exit year. And I should tell you, with the use of this capital from this funding round, we're going to have four of these facilities. And the $50 million that we're talking about, the vodka only accounts for one of these facilities. So there's all these different applications that we can use this byproduct for that nobody else is really doing at scale. So simplifying the numbers, 2026, we're looking at 50 million pounds of coffee and 200 million pounds of byproduct that even if we can turn some of that into a viable product, you're turning garbage into to money, essentially. And really what's a negative cost for us, because we have to dispose of this into a, a new and exciting revenue stream for the business. So when we talk about these high multiples and how do you get there? One, it's based on keeping the valuation that we have now quite low so that investors get a good piece of the upside. And it's adding on these really high value revenue streams that we're focused on as, as we move forward. The studies have already been done. So we, it's not, there's no, can you do this? It's the answer is yes. But the, the question then becomes, can you move all this product? If we believe we can. But the technology of basically turning sugars into alcohol, I mean, that's thousand year old basic distillation of, of um, you know, products into, into alcohol. So we're very comfortable we can move forward with that. And, and we're seeing a lot of opportunities for other use cases for the, for the byproducts as well that'll just keep adding on to the value of the, of the business. So we, we just started the funding round. Two weeks in, we've raised 2.5 million of the, of the uh, 25. We are, we're doing it really in three, three tranches. So we'll finish at 1,200 a share, and each of the previous tranches has a, a discount. So right now we have a seven and a half percent discount to the 1,200. Uh, when we finish the first 8.3 million, we'll go to three and a half percent discount, and then the last 8.3 will be at the full $1,200 per share price. That $1,200 per share price is the one that we have the 11x multiple projected for. If you're buying in. Now at the seven and a half percent discount, you know it's it's higher than even even than that. Oh, incredible! Kind of want to go back a, a little bit more to the the, the byproduct. It's very um, pronounced on your website. You guys are proud of it, as you should be. You know, uh, you yeah. guys were awarded the best technological innovation uh, from the Colombian government, and um, I'm wondering if that's part of it, right? Part of the equation is you guys taking this what would be waste and turning it into another product. I'm wondering if you could speak some more to that. Sure. The award we received was from the agricultural minister here in Colombia and the president of, of the Congress here for best technological innovation in agriculture last year in 2021. A lot of that has to do with, and I give credit to, we really have an outstanding management team, really um, agro industrial engineers who have worked kind of across multiple products, you know, from, from olives to flowers, but with a focus on coffee. A lot of the innovation has been, how do we take technologies from these other applications and, and apply them to coffee? Again, 
nobody's really focused on this for 40 years. So it's not like we're just, you have to kind of create the wheel a, a little bit. So the technology that we use now for managing consistency, quality, depulping, all these things that go into actually separating the coffee from all of that byproduct, we've really taken that technology from the olive industry. Why? They're similar in terms of how they grow. You have the pit, you have to remove it. But when you have olives, you extract the pit and you don't destroy the, the skin and everything around it. Usually coffee processing technology rips it apart. You take out the bean and everything else is kind of unusable. If we want to be focused on this byproduct business, we want well-preserved byproduct. So if you can use the technology that uses and preserves the byproduct from olives and coffee, you can theoretically have the same quality that can be reused for other applications. The technology that we've implemented at the farms are also very consistent with our impact thesis and what we want to see the business do from an environmental perspective and, and, and employment perspective. But you know, fundamentally, the technology we installed this year alone in the coffee processing process, we'll use 21 million less liters of water than we would use if we were using basically the traditional technology that's been used for 40 years in, in coffee. So all of these things, of course, they're you know technologically innovative, but they also add tons of value to the business. When you can tell a story like that, especially as the world moves in this more, call it ESG, sustainability, impact focus, environmental focus, uh, kind of investing culture, all of those things are one, the right thing to do, but two, almost non-negotiables when it comes to establishing long-term value for the, for the business. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. It just, there's more layers to it, you know? Um, and when, when you're getting down to like the fact <laughs> Too that, much information probably. <laughs> no, this is great. No, I mean, in terms of like, um, like you said, drawing parallels between olives and coffee beans, I, you know, to me, who's, who's outside, I wouldn't, I would never think that. And also like you mentioned now, you guys are starting these new revenue streams and you want, you know, well-preserved byproduct. Like uh, in, in terms of the coffee, right. That, that you guys are producing, people are maybe wondering, okay, Largest uh, coffee producer in Colombia. Are people already drinking, you know, your coffee, whether it's at Starbucks or wherever it is that people buy their coffee? Yeah, right now, as I mentioned, we're focused. We've, we've been focused to date really on buy a lot of farms, get them optimized in how they produce, build that infrastructure and sell the coffee B2B in that green form. So exactly. a traditional transaction like that would be one of our big clients, for example, is a company called Sucafina. They're the sixth largest buyer of coffee globally. They won't buy one pound bags of coffee or 250 gram bags of coffee. We're selling them tractor trailer size shipments of, of coffee. So they'll buy 38,000 pounds, 80,000 pounds. Those guys are the consolidators for the Starbucks and the Dunkin' Donuts of the world. So Starbucks, et cetera, those guys are not doing a lot of direct buying from producers. They're dependent on these large importers and exporters to then kind of meet their needs because their, their quantities are so are so high that it, if, if they tried to do their own buying program, they'd be buying from so many different farmers. It would just not be, it's better to work through an intermediary for them. So, you know, our, our coffee is basically bought through these intermediaries and intermediaries and then distributed all over the globe. We also have our movement into roasted roasted coffee that you can buy it on on Amazon right now if, if you'd like to to try it 
and we'll continue to kind of push that stream. That's really a, a big initiative for the end of 2022 here and, and into 2023 and beyond, where we're taking all the green coffee sales and essentially transitioning them to roasted coffee to get that higher profit margin. It's basically double. So we'll start seeing that transition slowly happen here and, and not even really slowly. I mean, the, the objective is 30 million pounds of roasted coffee by 2026. Wow. You guys are moving in, in all sorts of uh, directions and expanding kind of like your For lines, sure. expanding your business. Going back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier in terms of your operations, right? So you guys are based in the United States. Are there plans of sort of like expanding operations in the United States, in terms, whether it's roasting? Yeah, I mean, our, our footprint in the U.S. is we have our headquarters there. That's, you know, the basically the, the parent company for everything we're doing. Our sales team is all based in the U.S. All of our current roasting partners are there. So the white labelers that we work with as service providers. Part of the money from this capital raise, about $15 million, is budgeted towards opening our own roasting facility. Right now, we're diligencing sites in both Jacksonville and Houston. Those are the markets that we've identified as where we want to be. And it's basically plugging in the technology we want into the commercial real estate options there that are available. We won't be doing any ground-up construction. It'll be more custom-fitting for, for what we want for a roaster. That we're expecting to open in 2024. So all of this roasted sales until then, unless we find some acquisitions, which we're always kind of on the on the lookout for in terms of roasters, we'll be doing through uh, third-party providers, but they'll all be in the U.S. or, or Europe. Uh, and then, you know, really the U.S. will be and, and kind of is now our, our main hub for distribution. So our roasted coffee, the Alcohol and the vodka distribution, we're really going to be focusing on the Southeast. You now, we think we can appeal to the, the, the Latin audience that's down there with the connection to Colombia and, and work to kind of create a, an identity around the brand and the products that we're putting together. So the, the U.S. will be our primary distribution market with the benefit of having the production going on in, in Colombia. I mean, I think it's one thing that maybe... I overlook more than I should, but you know we have we have, as I mentioned, the 430 employees down here. Our our monthly expenses in the business, which would not, I don't think, be in any way possible if we're doing this in a more I call it developed market. We we spend about 185 thousand dollars a month for for the full operations. You know, if we're making investments, we're buying buildings, whatever. There's that's not included, but from a monthly cash burn. We spend about 185,000. I think we're sitting on about 7 million of, of cash now that will get deployed into additional farms and infrastructure over the balance of the year. So we really have a nice chance to grow by keeping costs low. And it allows us to be conservative in terms of the pricing for the roasted coffee and for the, the alcohol. So for example, with the coffee in, in all of our modeling and the sales that we're looking for, we're, we're targeting about $6.50 per pound of, of roasted coffee for the quality that we have, which is not j just based on, do I think it's good, but you know, international scoring standards. Really the market price for wholesale would be about $8.50 a pound. So we're staying, we're staying well under that just from, uh, you know, we're going to push our sales guys to do more, but you know, from a, from a modeling for investment purposes, 
and we're staying conservative. For the alcohol, on a wholesale basis, we're, we're targeting $8 a bottle. So really, that's a low-end vodka, which, you know, when we're talking about uh, pricing, but we think we can create a, a strong product with a unique story. And again, it circles back to, if we could sell it for $2, we'll make money because it's turning turning garbage into something. So, you know, if, 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 if our costs are essentially bottles and, and caps, if we can sell it for, for $2 a bottle, you know, we're, we're in a good position. So it's a lot of upside there. And, and fundamentally, it becomes keeping expenses low and selling into markets that pay higher. That's awesome. I want to know, uh, Adam, you know, we're going to, we're running out of time here. How can people get in touch with you? How can they get in touch with the company and really learn a little bit more? Yep. If people are interested in hearing more, interested in the Series C funding round, you can find us by email. It's investor.relations at legacy-group.co. So it's .co instead of .com because we're down here in Colombia. Uh, you can find us there or you can find us on our website at, at legacy-group.co. Awesome. So great to learn about you guys. Incredible how you guys have grown and are the largest coffee producers in Colombia. And best of luck to you guys. I appreciate your time. Thanks for the opportunity, Horacio. Adam, take care. Thank you, sir. You too. Green Coffee Company is a huge player in the coffee world and has its sights set on even more. There's a good chance that when you're drinking your coffee in the morning, if it's from Colombia, then it was produced by the Green Coffee Company. To think that they are looking to be responsible for 1% of the global coffee supply by 2026 is mind-blowing. Accredited investors seem to have an amazing company to invest in. A big thanks to Adam for joining the podcast and a big thank you for joining me today and supporting the podcast. Until the next time, take care.